It's been said, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. If you fail to make a plan, you're planning for failure. Now, when we take vacations, anyone take vacations? Anyone like vacations? Yeah? Where, where are my planners at? Where, you can raise your hand loud and proud. You know, high and proud. Who's, who's my planners? Good planners. Yeah? I'm one of those two. So I, I got I to gotta, you know, sit down and like write out the plan. So like when my friends, Brandon and Dana, came, uh, so many of you met them, I like had like almost every single day and afternoon, morning, like planned out. I was like, we're going to do this, we're going to go to Yellowstone, we're gonna, and then we're going to go like, camp in Cody, and then on the way back we're going to go to the Beartooth Mountains, and we're going to stay at Kemp- Temple Hills. And so I had like all these things planned, and it turned out fantastic, I might add. <laughs> Planning for the win. Now where are my, eh, just go with the flow, whatever happens. Anyone? We're, go with the flowers. Go with the flowers, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even like you know, our, 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 buddy, our buddy Travis, you know, who, uh, you know, our men's group guys you know, heard his story where he just like planned to go to Europe, got there and was like, all right, it's 5.30 in the morning in Dublin. Where am I going? <laughs> where am I staying tonight? Right? And he was, but he and had a great trip. Now there's, there's something to be said about you know, going to the flow and having kind of a general idea of where you're going, what you're going to do. Right? But planning, planning is what we're talking about here this morning. You know, planning is, again, if you fail to make a plan, even if, it, if it's like, you know, a general plan, then you're planning to fail. You're setting yourself up for failure. Plans are important. Now, I was introduced to a concept of one of the reasons why the, the United States and the Allies, but specifically America versus Germany, why America won the Second World War. During the Second World War, the, the German troops were led by a centralized command. The only one who knew the objective, the only one who knew the, knew the plan and the goal was the leader. It was the, the general or the major or the, you know, whatever the, you know, position they were in and leadership that was leading that battalion, leading that, that, that group, that troop. But what would happen to the Germans is that all of a sudden their general gets shot in the, you know, between the eyes and the guy in the trenches are sitting there going and they're out. They're gone. It's because they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know what the objective was. They didn't know what the plan was. However, the allies, specifically the Americans, each one of the soldiers was briefed. This was one of the things that was indicative of the American military back then was that they planned so that every single soldier knew the objective, knew the method and the means, and they could accomplish it even if upper leadership was killed. Like in the Civil War, you know, the, the flag bearer um, would take up, you know, if the flag bearer, you know, was killed and dropped the flag, a next guy would drop his gun, pick up the flag, and keep it going. Every single soldier knew what the plan was, knew what the objective was, and knew what the strategy was and where to meet up afterwards. They knew what to do. And they won. This is one of the main reasons why they won. Why we won the Second World War. 
Plans are powerful. Again, if you don't, if you, if you fail to plan, then you plan to fail. Now, this is really interesting. If you look in the scriptures, all throughout the Bible, because I asked myself the question, I was like, well, you know, when, when we're planning, putting together a plan for the church, I was like, you know, is it, is it biblical to make a plan? Shouldn't we just like follow the Holy Spirit's leading each day and for each season? Like, why should we make a plan? Like, why should we have goals and objectives and stuff like that? And then I started looking at scripture. I'm like, oh, yeah, God had a plan from the beginning of creation and even his plan is still going. God has a plan. God always has a plan. I mean, look throughout the Old Testament and you'll see. God gave what to Noah? Plans. For what? The end of the world as he, as he knew it. And how to survive it. By building an ark. He gave him plans to build an ark. What to build it out of? The materials themselves. How long and how thick? What to make for, for pitch? All the way down to the finest detail. Because again, this was foreign to them. He had no base for what a boat was. This was the very first boat in all of existence, probably. It set the standard, the golden standard for what a boat should be in human existence. That's why God had to give them a plan. Look at Israel. God gave Israel a plan and a leader to follow it, to, to, to cultivate it, to, to make it happen. Give them the plan. What was the, the plan? Well, the law. And it wasn't just simply things to do and don't do. It was a new way of being for Israel. They were pagans in Egypt. They were following. They kind of knew about God and remembered God from back in the, in the days of their forefather Abraham and how he delivered them. And then like Joseph and everything, like most recently in Egypt. And the, and, but then like the, the pharaohs forgot about, about you know, Joseph. And they were so then intertwined in the pagan culture that their culture, their way, of live, their way of living, their way of being was pagan. Egyptian paganism. Following the gods of you know, Ra and Isis and Osiris and all these different things. And God brought them out of that junk and gave them a new way of being. Following Yahweh as the Lord God. Following the true God of gods. The God who chose them, blessed them, preserved them. Gave them a new way of being with the law. And then look at what, you know, if you think about plans, what is the number one verse that most people think about? For I know the plans I have for you. God had plans for his people. God always has plans for his people. God doesn't just, you know, say, all right, cool, enjoy. He has a plan for the work that God wants to accomplish in his people and through his people. Order, structure, a plan set before him. But what is his plan? What does his plan cultivate in the life of his people? Always. God's plan always cultivates shalom among his people. When God sets forth a plan, it is for our good. It is for our flourishing. It is for our joy. It is for our gladness and blessing that we would be blessed and then therefore turn and be a blessing to others because of how God has blessed us. Think about in the New Testament. 
In the New Testament, we see Jesus. Did Jesus have a plan? The Father had a plan for Jesus, and Jesus was following out the plan. Like we see in Scripture, John 17 is all about him kind of coordinating all the prayers that he had been praying and recalibrating his plans throughout the life of his ministry, now doing it on display in the presence of his disciples. So he was with his disciples. He was kind of cluing them in on the plan, which we'll get to John 17 here, here in a moment. But Jeremiah 20, 20 11, that is there. But then we see Acts chapter, 20, chapter 2. They what? They devoted themselves to following the teachings of the apostles. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another, sharing communion and coming together regularly for prayer. Every, every believer, oh, sorry. Yeah, I guess I copied and pasted it twice. But they, were basically, they, were, they, they devoted themselves to the apostles. Jesus taught his disciples the plan, how to be, by seeing what? Jesus had a ministry to the crowds. Jesus had a ministry to his 12. And Jesus had a ministry in a relationship with the three. One-on-one, close personal relationships. And then he taught that to his disciples. And so now the apostles are teaching others. These 3,000 people that came to faith in Jesus Christ in one day, they're coming together to learn this way of being from those who walked with Jesus. And they were teaching them the aspects of the crowd ministry and the small 12 12 disciple relationship ministry and then the relationship ministry of the one-on-one. The apostles were teaching them about who Jesus was and how they lived as his disciples and perpetuating this way of being, this culture So this is the original culture of the early church. Relational ministry. It was the plan. We see it in in Paul writing to the Ephesians. For it was only through this wonderful grace that we believed in him. Nothing we did could ever earn this salvation. For it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. So that no one will ever be able to boast. For salvation is never a reward for human works or striving. We have become his poetry, his workmanship as it's translated, his creation, but it has this connotation of poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each one of us, for we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. So his plan was we are saved by grace. The method is we are saved by grace through faith, through allegiance. Why? To work the plan, the destiny he he has given us. We are his poetry. He has written us. He has sung us into grace, brought us into sainthood as his people and given each one of us a destiny. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. This was his plan. Ephesians 4. And he has appointed some with grace to be apostles and some with grace to be prophets and some with grace to be evangelists and some with grace to be pastors and some with grace to be teachers. And their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers, the saints, to do their own works of ministry. As they do this, they will enlarge and build up the body 
of Christ. As the, as the Bible is also translated, equipping the saints for the work of ministry, for the plan of God. That he wrote for us, the destiny he gave us. The destiny he gave us isn't just like this, hey, this fatalism, like it just happened to me. He's talking about this, like this destiny that's like you're destined to do this. These are the works that he has given you to do. This is the, the, the job he's given you to accomplish, to work. This is the plan that he's given you to work. This is your godly career, your career in the faith. But here, here's where the, the work and, and all this stuff comes to fruition. When we believe that God has a destiny for us, when God has, has work for us to do, we understand and believe that our God is a God with a good plan. And that plan is for our good. It's for our, you know, God's, for I, knew the, I know the plans that I have for y'all, that uh, word is actually plural, for y'all, plans to prosper you, plans to give you hope in a future. The word for prospering is that word shalom. To give you peace, to give you shalom, to give you flourishing, to give you life as I created it to be. To give you life and to work in and among you my joy. Work the plan because my plan's good. God's plan is good. But what do we see when uh, God's people forget the plan? We see in Israel, in the church, we see, we see in Israel all this stuff happening. I was just reading in Judges today. If you've ever read the book of Judges, it can be pretty depressing. But it, the book of Judges basically becomes this, everyone was just kind of doing what they wanted to, what they felt was right in their own eyes. They were being led by their emotions, being led by whatever felt good to do. And it seems logical, yeah. But when they forgot, both Israel and the church, if you look at, church, at the church, you know, the book of Acts is this awesome book where like Paul is basically like, you know, laying out, the author of Acts is laying out like this is how Paul, you know, how God worked to, to build the church through, you know, the apostles and then Paul and then, and, the, and the, this is where the gospel blew up and went to the ends of the earth, ended up in Rome, and then just continued to spread from there. It's an awesome, epic tale of joy and flourishing. And then the rest of the epistles are basically Paul writing to correct something because it, it got a little kink in it. You know, their, their car broke down again. <laughs> their, their, their car of faith kind of broke down. So Paul is writing to them to correct them, especially the Corinthians. You know, they're kind of, he's steering them. He's like, all right, you've, you've kind of gone a little astray here. So I need, to, I need to write to you to address this. But also to encourage you. You're doing so many things good. You're doing great. But we need to kind of address these things here. We can also see this in rem, you know, reminiscent, very reminiscent in the book of Revelation. I taught through a series called, you know, about the first seven, first seven I'm sorry, the seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Um, and if we learned anything from that, it was basically that all these churches had something good going for them but almost to the extent to where it, be, it became too much and they rejected other things. Like, say, for instance, the church of Ephesus. They got great at, like, defending themselves from false teachers. They got great at super doctrine, doctrinal alignment. 
Like they were like right on board with everything theologically. They were doctrinized to the T. They would be like, you know, your common day Reformed church. I can say that because I was part of Reformed church, churches for a long time. You know, they, they got great at their doctrine. They got great at their knowledge. But they really sucked at loving people. They forgot their first love. And if you notice in Revelation, that passage in Revelation chapter 3, it never says your first love is God. He kept talking about people all in the scriptures, all in that, building it up and building it up in Ephesus, to the church in Ephesus. But you've forgotten your first love, which is supposed to be who? The church. You've forgotten the, the love that you had at first. He didn't say, you know, you've forgotten your first love. He said, go back and love. You've forgotten the love that you had at first for one another. You've gotten really good at correcting each other. You've gotten really good at aligning people to your doctrine and your theology and kicking out the false teachers. But you've gotten really bad now because you've gotten so good at that, at loving one another, bearing with one another. Even if their doctrine might be a little... Love them. Have grace for them. Discuss it with them. Join with them. That's why I love that the phrase you know, that you know, is oftentimes attributed to Augustine. You know, in, in first things, most important theological, you know, what is the gospel? We need to have unity as a church. In, in first things, we have to have unity. In second things that we can disagree on, you know, having, having grace. Having liberty. But in all things, whether we agree or disagree on certain things in, in our church, in, in the church overall, in all things, charity, which is agape, love. So love one another. Love is more important than being precise. We need to agree on, on the foundational gospel issues. And then we can come together to discuss scripture. But all things need to be done to build one another up in love. Because when he talks about false teachers and false teaching and, and heresy, all these different things in the scripture, it's not talking about those people who disagree with you on, on minor issues. He's talking about people who are denying the faith saying that Jesus wasn't, in fact, raised. Jesus wasn't God. We see this in an early church heresy of Arianism, which I love. You know, Christmas was one of my favorite holidays because Santa Claus literally walked across the room and slapped a heretic. St. Nicholas, who Santa Claus is based after, um, walked across the room and slapped Arius across the face because he denied the, the sovereignty and the divinity of Jesus Christ. So you have another reason to love Santa Claus. But when people forget the plan in the Old Testament and the New Testament, when God's people forget what happens, they descend into mediocrity. They forget the power of God inside them and within them and among them. They just start doing random things. And then there starts to develop within the community of faith a disunity and a deterioration of that shalom. God designed us for shalom. God designed us for flourishing, to do powerful, amazing, powerful things. Jesus even told his disciples, you're, you're impressed by these things? You're, really? You're impressed that I turned water into wine? 
you guys are going to see more of these things. You're going to do, you're going to do even greater things than these. So don't just be, simply be amazed that I, you know, that I brought Lazarus back from the dead because guess what? You're going to do it too. You are going to heal the sick. You are going to prophesy from God himself. You are going to do these incredible things. All these amazing things are going to happen among you. And we can see that happening in the apostles, through the apostles. That's one of the things in, in Acts chapter 2 that we see continued, is that they devoted themselves to these things, and all these things were happening through the, the apostles. The, you know, all these miracles were happening, and it kept building their faith, and they kept seeing God's work in action, and it kept building their faith, and they w- watched all these signs and wonders being lived out among them, and they glorified God. But they, when God's people forget the power of God within them, they start to go to mediocrity, start settling for less, understanding less of who we are in Christ, going back to whatever is cheap and comfortable and easy, doing random things, basically going back to the book of Judges. It repeats over and over and over again. They did what was right in their own eyes. Doing random things outside of God's plan. And the basic theme of Judges is that God's people would, would forget the plan. They'd forget who they were. God would send their enemies to rule over them and, and, to, and they would suffer under their enemies, like the Philistines, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Amalekites, the Otherites. And then they would cry out, God, save us! And he would ra- rise up a deliverer, a judge. They would deliver God's people And then they would be happy for a generation or even like 10, 20 years. And then that person would die and then forget. Every single time. Like even Gideon. Gideon, this great figure in Scripture where he took 300 guys and went and destroyed tens of thousands of people. This huge army. And they had flourishing for like 30 years under his reign, under his rule. And he had 70 sons. Dang! 70! 70 sons! Lots of women. But the next generation, the oldest son that he had with this, I think with, with a, it was an, it was an illegitimate son by a prostitute, came in and murdered the 70 brothers and took over. They forgot the plan of God. They forgot his flourishing. They forgot his presence with the Ark of the Covenant. They forgot the power that delivered them from Egypt. They'd, and so they just ended up, when you forget the plan, you end up just going to, and doing random things because you have no trajectory. You have no eyesight. You have no vision. And as, as, as the Bible t- you know, tells us, where there's no vision, where there's no you know, God, you know, vision from God, well, there's no living out a plan, the people perish. That is the story of the Old Testament. And then we start being, becoming selfish and we, we, the, the sense of disunity starts to, to, to come in. Fear, hard hearts, and sin start to in, you know, penetrate God's people when God's people forget the plan. This is what we call here at Shift Church the rut. If you look in, if you look in your, your vision book, in the plan, this is what we call the plan. 
you look in the very back, there's a page. Whoop, there's my stickers. There's a page all about the rut. What is the rut? How do we, how, you know, all about the rut. What is the rut? How do we not fall into the rut? How do we avoid the rut? Going back into mediocrity, doing random things, and you know, this, seeing this deterioration within, the body, within our body. Well, we have to remember the rut. Remember the plan. Remember it. Don't just say, oh, cool, yeah, I read that like a year ago when we launched it, but uh, yeah, we've got no plan. I don't know. What is it again? What's, what are our values again? Like simple something, relational, yeah. What is our mandate again? Like pick this up. Know the plan. Remember the plan that God has given us as a church. Remember the frame. If nothing else, just memorize this. This is easy. This is what God is doing in our midst. This is what we are, this is the plan that God has given us to work out. This is the plan of how we are to be. This is not simply a, a, a doing plan. This is a being plan. This is what defines us as a church. This is what defines us and what, and not so much defines us as in gospel because that defines us on a whole nother level, but this defines who we are locally what, by what we do. Understanding the map. Understanding where each one of you can be in the map. You can trace your progress through the map. Okay, I've been coming to the big circle. Cool. Am I part of a Manac group yet? Well, maybe not, because maybe there, there's not one that really interests me yet, or there's not, there's not one that's, that really fits my schedule because I have to work all the time during the one that I really like. Or if you're in an ACA group, like, well, yeah, it's cool. I know a few people, but I don't have a one-on-one close personal relationship yet. So keeping an eye out for who, is, who would that be that I could ask out for coffee. Hang out. Don't just wait for your catalyst. If you see someone that you're, that you, in your act group that you click with, take them out for coffee for, or invite them over for supper. Remember the plan. The first, thing, the first clue to living the plan and not falling back into the rut is remembering the plan. Now, I don't want to hark too much on it just because I don't want to be accused of starting a cult. Um, <laughs> so, but remember the plan. How are we to be? Fill, as, we say, as we say, put it through the frame. And I was reminded about that you know, a couple weeks ago in our, in our elders meeting. Fit it through the frame. I had, I had an idea, fit it through the frame. Whenever we have, have an idea of what we want to do, fit it through the frame. Because what it does is it keeps us laser focused. It keeps us laser focused, locked in on our objective, on our goal, which is shifting everyday relationships into authentic community. So that together, as a community, working and living the plan, we can, we can live God's adventure together, fully alive. Shalom, abundant life, joy. So our goal is relationships, transformation, and adventure. If we can just kind of sum it up in three, three small words. Relationships, transformation, and adventure. Because God's got a great adventure for each one of us. And God's got a great adventure for us as this church. Understand the plan. That's where it comes in. So remember it, know it, understand it is this understanding that causes action. It's lived. It's applied. It's done. It's accomplished. Not finished. It's accomplished. It's being accomplished. And then teach it. 
So when, when people come and join, underst- you know, being, understanding it so much, you know, knowing it and understanding it in such a way that you're able to now teach it to others. You can take someone out to coffee and say, hey, you want to talk about the plan? Because I know it so well. Come and bring the plan. Teach the plan. This is, if you look at this, this is actually our measurables. If you remember our measurables, this is imitate, remembering what other people have taught, in initiating it in our own life, understanding it, living it, and then instigating it in others, teaching the plan. So that's our measurables right there. So remember the rut. Remember the plan. Understand the plan and teach the plan. Because why does all this matter? Why does it matter that God has a plan for his people, his church, but God has a plan for us specifically as his church? And why is it important to live it out? Why is it important to remember and understand and teach the plan? Why does this matter? Like, what what does it matter to live out the plan that God has given us? What does it matter? Jeremiah, if we continue on in, in verse Verse 12, at that time you will call out for me and I will hear. You will pray and I will listen. You will look for me intently and you will find me. Yes, I will be found by you, says the eternal. And I will restore your fortunes fortunes, and gather you from all the nations where you have been scattered. Basically, God is saying, I will hear you. I will hear you. I will be, you will be, you will find me. I will be found by you. And I will restore you. I will restore shalom, restore flourishing among you when you remember my plan. Jesus prayed this. Just, this is part of Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. I pray for them all to be joined together as one. Even as you and I, Father, are joined together as one, I pray for them to become one with us so that the world will, rec- will recognize that you sent me, that we will be one. Unity, relationship with one another. Paul talks about this in Philippians. What is the goal? So I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, one passion, and united in one love. Walk together with one harmonious purpose and you will fill my heart with unbounded joy. He's saying, complete my joy. Have the same mind. Be unified in spirit. Having one harmonious spirit. One harmonious purpose. Living and working the plan. Watching God flourish you individually and us as his church. In Ephesians chapter 5, be imitators of God in everything you do. For then you will represent your father as his beloved sons and daughters. And continue to walk, surrender to the extravagant love of Christ. For he surrendered his life as a sacrifice for us. His great love for us was pleasing to God, like an aroma of adoration, a sweet healing fragrance. Imitate God. Live in love. This is what it looks like. This is what transformation looks like. This is what 
living the plan, what the, what the result of accomplishing our goal, accomplishing our objective looks like. Unity, love. Ephesians 4, building itself up. The church building itself up in love. Exuding the fruit of the Spirit. Being able to see the fruit of the Spirit in each, each of us in your life individually and in the life of our community. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All these things being lived out. Why does it matter to have, to understand, and live out a plan of God? Warren Buffett once said, someone's sitting in the shade today because someone planted a tree a long time ago. We make a plan. We live a plan to leave a legacy. The number one reason why God's people have fallen into the rut for years, thousands of years, all the way back to Israel and the church, is because they didn't teach their children. They didn't instigate their faith. They didn't teach the future generations. That was the very first thing that God told them to do. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord our God is one. You will love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, teaching these things to your children. And over and over and over again, they stopped teaching their children. They didn't leave a legacy of faith for their children. Now, children... And also for us, just simply those who are coming after us. People that we're reaching through the ministry here at Shift. Our children, people who are coming in in the faith. People who, are, who we will eventually one day baptize. Teaching them, what's it? The Great Commission. Go into all the world proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Making disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit teaching to them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the world, to the very end of the age. This is, this is why we live. This is why we work the plan because God wants to bring flourishing where there is vision. God wants to bring flourishing and shalom and joy and life abundant when we live His way. When we believe the gospel, when we walk by the Spirit, as we've been talking about this entire summer, walking by the Spirit of God and watching Him flourish us as His church. To plant an oak tree that lets its roots grow down deep. What is the legacy that we here at Shift Church are leaving behind for those in our future? 
And what is, more personally to you, what is the legacy that you want to leave behind with your life? God, we thank you for this time together. We pray that you would reveal to us the joy of your plan, the the joy of your plan for us, living and working through your perspective of who we are as your saints, as your holy ones, here specifically at Shift Church. Teach us, Lord Jesus, to obey all the things that you have commanded us to do. Understanding and believing, pressing into and enjoying the fact that you have promised to be with us always to the very end of the world, to the very end of the age, no matter what happens, no matter what coronavirus, no matter what politics, no matter what nations rise or fall, Lord, you are with your people always to the very end of the world. Empowers, Lord Jesus, with boldness, to live in boldness to our identity in Christ Jesus, above and beyond the nations around us, including our own. Remind us of who we are in Christ and how to be. How to live out of that identity in Jesus Christ. For it's in that holy, precious, and powerful, wonderful, beautiful name that we pray. Amen.